We bring you. mic this morning if that'll help upstairs there we go <laughs> to those of you that are fathers happy father's day what a blessing it is to have fathers that follow God's plan as we think about an example of fatherhood that has really been making news for many years and it seems to be talked about even more and more in recent times there was a young na- man named Rick Hoyt that was born And the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. And he was a quadriplegic when he was born. He could not speak. And the doctors told his mother and father when he was about eight or nine months old, you might as well place him in an institution. He has very little brain activity. Uh, There's nothing that you could do to ever enjoy his life. And that's probably the best thing you could do is place him in the hands of professionals that could take care of him. They didn't believe that. They noticed as they walked around the room that the little fellow's eyes would follow them around the room. As he grew older, they took him at the age of 11 to Tuft University, to two scientists there. And they begged them, will you come up with some way that our son can communicate with us? We know that he understands what is taking place in the world. And we know he wants to communicate to us, but we do not know how to do that. They too sounded much like the doctor saying that it would be no use. And the answer of Dick, the father, to them was, you tell him a joke. They told him a joke and he bursted out laughing. This gave the scientists hope. They developed a software where the cursor would go across letters. And whenever it was the letter that he wanted to spell, he would click a switch with his head. When he got home, the first thing that he spelled out to his family was Go Bruins. He had become a huge sports fan. While he was in high school, one of the lacrosse teammates was in an accident and they were paralyzed. There was a fundraising race, a 5K, that was, uh, being, was taking place to benefit this young man and his family. Rick tapped out a message to his father. Dad, I want us to run this race. When his dad talked with him, he found out that Rick's thought was that if this young man that was paralyzed could see him and his father run the race, that it would give him great encouragement and maybe even others that were handicapped. Now Dick explains that he was a porker. He said the furthest he ever run was a mile at one time. But yet if that's what his son wanted, he would begin training for a 5K. They used his regular wheelchair. They loaded Rick into that chair And on that day, the father and son began their 5K run. They came in second to last place. Rick never stopped grinning. When they got home, he made a statement that forever changed their life. He tapped out on the keyboard. Dad, today I felt like I wasn't handicapped. His dad asked, do you want to race some more? And he said, yes. That week they joined a racing club 
and they have never stopped racing. Now Dick is 65 years old. Rick is 43. Let me give you an example of what they've done. 216 triathlons, six Ironman distances, 20 duathlons, 65 marathons, 25 of them the Boston Marathon. And you remember we talked about them being second to last in their first race? They got the time to, in 92, their Boston Marathon, they ran it in two hours and 40 minutes. Seven 18.6 milers, 81 half marathons, one 20K, 35 10 milers, 28 7.1 milers, eight 15Ks, 206 10Ks, 146 5 milers, four 8Ks, 17 4 milers, 99 5Ks, 7, 20 milers, tw- 2, 11Ks, and then they've done many other things like, I'll give you an example of one, they biked and ran across the USA in 1992 and 93. It was a total of 735 miles in 45 consecutive days. Obviously, Dick had become quite the athlete. As a matter of fact, through the years, he got the attention of many coordinators of races, and they urged him, Dick, run something alone. It'll be amazing what you'll be able to do. And every time his answer was, no. I run so that I can see the cantaloupe smile on Rick's face. A father that made a difference in the life of a son. Now, in principle, that's the way God designed to be. They would bless each other's life and they would help each other. On the screen, you're about to see a picture of two feet. It kind of melts your heart when you look at that. And you think about where will those little feet go only because those big feet belong to Daddy. We've heard the expression, the chip off the old block. We've heard that the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. It is true by God's design that oftentimes we follow that leadership very closely of the Father. We've just had a text so capably read for us. A text that tells us about a young man named Joshua. Joshua was a man that was pleading with a generation. And he speaks as a father. And he says, let me tell you what I'm going to do as a father and the commitment that I'm going to make for a family. And then he's speaking to this generation and he's saying, I want you two to choose the God that you will serve. Now this man had been a tremendous man even in his youth. He was one of the young men that was chosen to be one of the 12 spies. You remember 10 of the spies gave a wicked report and all of the congregation believed them. Only Caleb and himself made the plea for them to have faith in God. And then the 40 years out in the wilderness wandering, Numbers tells us that he was Moses' assistant, his choice man. He was a man that Moses leaned upon heavily, no doubt, over those 40 years. And then, when it was time for Moses to die, Joshua was the one that God chose. Three times in Joshua, the first chapter, God pled with him, be strong and of very good courage. And he did. He stepped into that role as a strong man, as a courageous man, ready to lead the children of 
Israel over into battles. And God would give them the victory. And He would give God all the praise. And the text that we've had read for us this morning, it's at the end of Joshua's life. This is his farewell address. This is where he's making a plea to say, consider where you are today. And consider where you and your family will be if you just make the right decision. But did you notice as we look back in verse 14? Look at there at Joshua, the 24th chapter, verse 14. He speaks of fathers. But it might not be, at first glance, who you're thinking about. Notice what he says about fathers in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. What's Joshua doing? Joshua is standing before a generation of people. He's standing before a nation of people. And he's literally saying this. I want you to serve God. You're not going to be able to live and follow your fathers. He was literally begging the people to break a bad generational trend. How many times have have we heard someone that that they say, I'm so thankful. I know that a lot of my Christian life is due to the fact that I had a strong father that encouraged me. Friends, I want you to hear something loud and clear this morning. We can flip through the pages of the Bible and what we see over and over are individuals that could never say, I want to thank God for the godly father that I had. You see some of the greats in the Bible and they could never say that. Instead, they took the challenge that was similar to to what Joshua was saying, where he is saying to a generation, I want you to do what your fathers didn't do. I'm calling you to be something different. Your fathers were all idolaters. Your fathers knew of the Almighty God and left Him behind. I'm calling you to make changes in your life. If you had a godly father, bless you. But if you didn't, the question is the same for all of us. Will you choose to follow God? Will you choose to be a godly example for your family? Friends, that's what most of this 24th chapter is about. Look back earlier in the chapter. He uses the great Abraham as an example. We're about to read in just a moment verse 2 and 3. But as we're about to read this, I want to remind you of something you probably know. But let's have it fresh on our mind as we're about to read this passage. Do you realize how much these people would have loved and respected Abraham? Abraham was the great. He was the father of the faithful. Abraham was probably the one, if they had any spiritual thoughts about God at all, and you could say, hey, who would you like to be like? They would probably say, oh, I'd love to be like our father Abraham. Well, guess what? Do you remember about Abraham's father? Abraham couldn't say, I'm so thankful for the father that I had. That's the only reason I'm such a strong character of faith. Instead, we read this. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. 
If you would be turning to Acts the seventh chapter, and that's not going to be on your screen, but I'd like for us to read a passage together in Acts 7 in just a moment. Do you see what we just read right there? Joshua is saying, I want to remind you about Abraham. God asked Abraham in his effort to become the father of a great nation, will you leave behind your father? Will you leave behind his idolatrous ways? We never know of Abraham giving in to those idolatrous ways. But when we do see Stephen's account in Luke the 7th chapter, and remember just after this sermon is when Stephen is stoned to death, he tells us something by the revelation through the Holy Spirit. He tells us something that even back in Genesis the 11th chapter towards the end and going into the 12th chapter, that even Moses doesn't tell us about Abraham. Notice what we learn here. There is another time that's not recorded back in Genesis that God asked Abraham to follow him. What do you think might have held him back at this time? We're reading Acts 7, beginning of verse 2. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved to this land in which you now dwell. Did you notice what God asked him to do back in verse 3? He asked him, move from your country and move from your relatives. Well, this first move that we learn about here, notice Abraham did not leave his relatives behind. He loaded up. His father, his father was a worshiper of idols. They stopped over in Ur. Why do you think they stopped there? Secular history tells us that that was the home of worship to the moon god. Now, did you notice the point in time that finally, when we go back to Genesis 11th chapter and we see Abraham called again, he moves on that next time. Did you notice the point in time when he moves on again? After his father dies, when his father died, he then moved. For all of us that are fathers, we need to ask ourselves a sobering question. Would our children be more likely to be strong, spiritual children of God if I died? Am I holding back my children? The great father Abraham stepped into his point of the greatest obedience, the greatest test of faith, fulfilling that test of faith, only after his idolatrous father died. But I need to also see that as a great message of hope. If God can use someone like the great Abraham, despite a family that was not spiritual-minded. Friends, I learned this. It's up to each individual, and it's up to each generation. As Joshua stood before one generation and said, You choose. We know what our fathers did. Now it's up to us. Let's make the choice today. As we look to the next slide, let's skip one slide and go to another slide. I'd like for you to consider... And, and these are just a few examples of many that we could look at in the Scripture. But have you ever thought about Noah? Could Noah say, I want to thank God for the great family that He's given me. That's why my life was preserved on the ark. 
Do you realize that anything that is implied in the scriptures, we learn about Noah building an ark a hundred years before and every other man's mind was continually on wickedness. Do you remember his grandfather? Methuselah was Noah's grandfather. He died 169 years. Do you remember when he died? He died the year of the flood. What does that tell us? Apparently his own grandfather's mind was continually on wickedness and the implication is that he died in the flood. Noah, I'm sure you had such a tremendous family. That's why you stood so faithful to God and worked on that ark a hundred years. And Noah would probably say, I cried and cried. I couldn't convince my grandfather. Or Josiah, you study much about the kings? If you love God and you study about this man, you will love this man. He lived in a time when Israel was so steeped in idolatry. His grandfather was Manasseh. His father was Ammon. And they, they just had idolatry running throughout all the land of, of Canaan, of Israel. It was terrible. And you know what he did? He did only what he knew to do. He became a king at a young age, and he followed their lead until one day a man finds a copy of the law. And when he hears the law read for the first time of what God wanted and how different it was from what his father did and what his grandfather had done and what he was doing, he literally ripped his clothes off and began to weep as a sign of mourning and grief. And you know what? He didn't say, I'm just going to do what my daddy did. I'm just going to be what my grandfather was. Instead, he was one of the great kings that completely removed idolatry, destroying and burning idolatry out of the land and returned Israel to true worship. Or Paul, the great missionary and writer Paul. Do you ever hear him say, I want to thank my mother and father. They're the ones that taught me about Jesus. No, what we see is that he was trained in such a way that he rejected Jesus of Nazareth. And when Stephen was being stoned, he was the young man that was so young, his job was just to hold the coats. Friends, I'm just going on what's implied here. But I don't think you'll ever hear of Paul saying, I want to thank my father. My daddy was the one that really gave me the spiritual backbone of Christianity. Or Timothy, we read about a good mama and a good grandmother, but you know something you don't read about Timothy? You don't read about a father that gave him spiritual roots in Jesus Christ. Friends, I need to learn. And I need to accept the fact that if my daddy wasn't what he ought to have been, I'm not the first and I won't be the last. And God still gives me the opportunity to be exactly what He planned on me becoming. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. He didn't say only if your generation before you were godly, then I'll accept you. Only if your grandfather was a godly man, I'll accept you into my family. Joshua's old. He's dying. 
And he looks across a generation of people whose daddies were terrible daddies spiritually. They were terrible. And he pleads with them. I want you to break a trend. I want you to do something your dads could never do. I want you to choose. Let's look again there at verse 14. Look again at 14 and and let's just think about a few things. And then as we think about these things, I'm sorry, verse 15. And as we think about these things, we will then um, bring some application home and close the lesson. Look at 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites on whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As we think about this, we see a man, an individual saying to his family, and to him. I'm not just going to tell you, do as I say and not as I do. He's literally saying to his family, you can walk in my footsteps. I'm going to give my all to serving the Lord. And those little grandchildren and those grown children of Joshua's and those great-grandchildren... The implication is saying, you can follow me. I'm dedicated. But notice the second thing here is, me and my house. This father was making a plan to lead his home. It wasn't just some kind of accident that he thought his family would become righteous. He realized that someone had to take responsibility for the family. Someone needed to be the leader. And from Deuteronomy 6 all the way through the Bible, Ephesians 6, we see God pleading with fathers to be the leaders in home, to teach and to lead their children. But the third thing we see here in verse 15 is that fact that it's a choice for each of us. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. So Joshua is saying, I've chosen it. Joshua says, I've made a plan for my family. And now he looks out to everybody else that's listening. He says, you have to choose too. You're not going to be saved just because you happen to live among a good family. Just because you happen to gather occasionally among a good church family. Who's going to be saved? Those that have chosen God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They have laid their life in full submission to His will. That's who's going to be saved. Now, As we think of application to this verse, I'd like for you to think about these three things. Fathers who plan to lead, I need to ask myself a question. Is my direction safe? You know, he said, Chief this day whom you'd serve. In other words, they had to decide, am I going to take the direction of my life over into idolatry or am I going to take the direction of my life toward God? Now, 
I know that maybe sometime we envision idolatry and, and we see this in our mind, we see this little wooden or stone statue that's carved out. And in our mind, we just think it's somebody, instead of choosing God, they choose that statue. Friends, that's a misunderstanding of the temptation of idolatry. The temptation of idolatry is that it had all of the sensual and fleshly provokings wrapped into that religion. In other words, if they were going to turn away from idolatry, they're going to have to clean up their life. They had a lot of fleshly things that were driving their life in idolatry. And to choose God is really similar to today when we look across America and we say if someone's going to become a Christian, there's a lot of moral changes. There's a lot of religious changes. Even though we may not think about religion in America being full of idolatry, the sensual and carnal pull is very similar. And you see, Joshua is saying here, I want you to set a safe direction. And what does that demand? It demands that we be intentional. Fathers, this morning, can we say, we are very intentional about the direction we're leading our home. We have our eyes set on the affection on things above. We are intentional. No one is going to wake up in heaven by accident. No one. No one's going to wake up and say, wow, I didn't think this would happen. It's going to be for those that have dedicated their life. It's going to be those that they've given their heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord. It's going to be for those that have worshipped without forsaking the assembly. For those that have gathered around the table and they've honored our Lord each first day of the week. Those that have given the first fruits of their labor. Those that have sacrificed deeply. Those that have taught others. Those that have prayed fervently. Those that have studied constantly. Oh, the list could go on and on. But what we do know for certain... It's going to be those that were intentional. But notice the second thing. Is your focus safe? The pull of idolatry in the fleshly? Are we going to look spiritually? You see, that's where our desire has to be. It's to not live the carnal life, but the spiritual life. And then notice third. He said, as for me and my house, we will. Serve the Lord. Commitment. I've never heard anybody read this passage and say, Well, can you believe the arrogance of Joshua? Saying, I will serve the Lord. Me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I've always heard people read this passage and love and respect it. Can you say that about your family? It's not arrogant to say, I have a course set. I know the direction I want my family to go. I have a focus on spiritual things. Now, I'm not saying we're, we're prophets and, and that we can predict the future. I'm not saying that we're perfect. But fathers, this morning, can we say beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know my heart's greatest desire is I'll serve the Lord. And I want my family to serve the Lord. And that's the direction I'm leading them. 
And notice, there's no need to clarify this statement. Imagine with me, if you will, Joshua makes this statement, and, and, and someone weak, someone weak, spiritually off the side says, um, Joshua, I've got a question. Uh, you and your family, you will serve the Lord? Yes. Uh, what if? Can you think of a what if? Can you think of a what if that would override that? Uh, what, if, what if me and my family we start serving the Lord and, and in order to be popular in high school, our kids have to not do some of the things that the other kids do? We'll serve the Lord. Well, what, what if we start serving and we have to dress just a little bit differently? We'll serve the Lord. What if some people mock us? We'll serve the Lord. What if some people begin to persecute us and even kill us? We'll serve the Lord. Friends, you can't think of a what if where Joshua would say, Whoa, didn't think about that. Okay, we'll just serve the Lord in most cases. He talks to a lot of fathers this day that had bad spiritual fathers. And he says, I want you to choose. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. All of us have seen the anti-drug campaigns. What's interesting is seeing how they've evolved. You remember when most of the anti-drug campaigns dealt with targeting the children, urging the children not to be involved in drugs? Have you noticed what's happened over the past year, two or three? About 50% of the ads no longer target the children at all. Now, a big percentage of the ads target the parents. You know, those ads are even labeled parents, the anti-drug. You see, the world's figured out what God's laid out all along the way. And that is some of the greatest influence in the lives of individuals are their parents. That's a blessing. That's a blessing whenever we think today we can have a great influence upon our family. That's why Joshua says, I know the direction I want to go and the direction I want to lead my home. You know what? We have a father that wants to influence us. You know, that's the only way we're a Christian is being influenced by the father. This morning, have you been adopted into God's family? Have you been baptized into his family? Are you a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess before men? Won't you be baptized in Christ for the remission of your sins this morning? Maybe you've done that and somewhere along the way you've not glorified the Father by the type of son or daughter that you've been. Wouldn't this morning be a wonderful time to come home? The Father would welcome you. He doesn't sit around and calculate your sins before He forgives you. The only thing the Father's concerned about is that you're willing to repent and come home.
If we can help in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.